And welcome everyone to the Max Marzo podcast. Thank you for tuning in today. We have a fun discussion around power training, explosive training, and all things that you love about science. Dun, 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 dun. All right. Well, as always, if you guys want to join the Always an Athlete seven day free trial, join the training team today, you can. Yes. Want to train like an athlete, get jacked and move fast? Hey, that might be your cup of tea. And if it is, come hang out with me. Seven-day free trial to the Always an Athlete team. We train six days a week. We have fun. We get after it and we get better. That's my sales pitch. Give it a go. Why not? So let's talk about power training because in the Always an Athlete team, guess what? We perform power training. And I train athletes and we perform power training. If you want to get explosive, you perform power training. If you want to get fast, they'll perform. I don't know who else is out of this. Perform power training, whatever. So when it comes to power training, that's just a fancy word for saying moving something typically with the most amount of velocity you possibly can. If we think power is a byproduct of force by velocity, it ends up being just about how we can produce as much velocity, which in turn is just basically how much force we can produce. So basically at the end of the day, it's about intent, trying to move something as fast as you possibly can. And so you commonly see things like jumps are related to power training and Olympic lifts are power training and all things in between kind of a power training. But there's some really important aspects of power training and moving with maximal intent that you should understand because <laughs> you and your body typically doesn't understand why we should do power training. So let me break it down from a survival standpoint. What is power training? It is moving something with the most amount of effort and speed. So if I'm going to pick up a stick of deodorant and put it on my armpit, I'm not going to move it as fast as I possibly can. Why? If I moved everything as fast as I possibly can, number one, I wouldn't be very precise with my movements. And number two, it's a high energetic cost to lift something with the most amount of effort. More times than not in our life, in our daily routine, we move things from point A to point B. Time is not a, um, a factor of concern. Very rarely is time a factor of concern. If you were to go pick up sticks to start a fire, it's not like you got to pick up each stick as fast as you possibly can. So when it comes to majority of movements, majority of movements are done to be most energetically cost-effective. You're going to try and do the outcome movement with as little cost on energy as you possibly could. And if we, had to, if we moved everything as fast as we possibly could, we would be so exhausted by the end of the day. We require lots of volitional effort, concentration, and everything we're doing. It's going to have so much intent, it's going to fatigue us. And we'll be wasting a lot of energy because it's not like if you move it from point A to point B any faster, when you're picking up sticks, it's going to help the fire somehow start. There's no survival purpose. This is really important to understand when we do power training. And this is why power training have always theorized as to whether or not there are some independent psychological factors that push someone to be more inclined to do power training because when they perform their lifts, they naturally do it with more intent, more vigor, more uh, effort. So let's just look at an example. Let's say we have a trap bar and we have a trap bar with 135 pounds on it. And you, my friend who's listening to this, can deadlift a trap bar deadlift 405 pounds. So we have 25% or that's not 25%, but let's just pretend close enough, 25-ish percent of your one rep max on the bar. I guess I could. That's actually not even close. Whatever. It's a good enough math. You get the idea. Close enough. You have a low percentage of your one rep max on the bar. Now, if I told you to pick up that bar, you would simply just pick it up. 
And if I told you to jump with it, you would jump as high as you think you can, but there's no incentive to jump high other than your own internal drive to jump high, your own motivation. And when you do that, you're really fighting your own cognitive inhibition. Yes, you might be trying to jump as high as you possibly can, but more times when we do things, the feedback is based on success. Do we lift an object from A to B? If I'm going to do a one rep max of my deadlift, I know I succeeded based on whether or not I stood up with the weights. That's it. If I do a jump, I don't really know what success is. So I'm still kind of moving it from point A to point B as best as I can, as fast as I can, but I don't have any feedback. And that's the key right there is feedback. Because in life, when we think about the powerful movements that we do, they're typically geared with an external cueing. You're doing it because you're running away from something. You're chasing something. You're trying to grab something. All this is done. You're throwing something at something is done with an external cue. So if we are trying to mimic the realm in which we can produce the most power in our training, we might want to change our training mindset and involve an external cue. And that is the cheat code to power training right there. Having some sort of feedback because what you have done, you have taken the biological system, the human body, and it's biased towards simply completion of a movement, moving the weight from A to B, and that being its source of feedback to now having an external means being a source of feedback. So no longer does it see the solution to a problem of moving it from A to B, but it sees it in the same light as if you're running away from something or chasing something. You're chasing a higher velocity, a higher number. So this is where using things like velocity feedback, measuring devices, things that measure how fast the bar moves can be extremely helpful. Or having objects to hang, so you run and jump and touch, can be really helpful. This allows for some type of external feedback to initiate the process of quote unquote chasing or running from, but evokes that, um, that innate realm in which we're typically utilizing ballistic actions. Think about that for a second. Makes total sense. And we, when we lift things, our typical feedback is completion of a number of sets, a number of reps, or the actual completion of a movement. When it comes to power training, it becomes extremely nebulous. Well, I could have lifted that weight for more reps. I could have lifted a heavier weight. How do you know if you had enough force placed into the ground to achieve whatever result you're trying to achieve because you're actually not even trying to achieve an external result. It's all internally driven. You yourself are just trying to jump high but who knows if that's as high as you possibly can? And it brings up the idea that we might have central regulators inside the brain area. This is all theoretical that might somewhat inhibit our ability to evoke maximal volitional drive, our internal drive to jump as high as possible. But some other people might actually not have such a large inhibitor. They might be some person who just, when you say jump, they just jump as high as they possibly can because they're great at that. Now, if we have two athletes doing the same program and one is putting out 5% more effort because they have a higher internal drive because they have a lower internal inhibitor, well, they're going to have greater power results and power outputs. The question is, can we teach that athlete who doesn't put out as much power, say the 5% less, that difference, if we have an external feedback, can we grasp that 5% so they can have that extra boost in their training? So now when we train and we're training for power, it's not just about, can I lift the weight? It's about a percentage of possible speed that you are achieving per rep. 
if I'm to lift a weight at 135 pounds and let's just pretend my takeoff velocity is 10 meters a second, which it, it is not. It's just for the sake of math. My gosh, you'd, you can do the math. You'd be at the moon at 10 meters a second. So it's not 10 meters a second, obviously, just for the sake of example. But if one athlete is doing it at nine meters a second and the other one's doing it at 10 meters a second, that athlete who's doing it at nine meters a second, who could do it at 10 meters a second, but isn't doing it at 10 meters a second because they have some sort of central inhibition. Well, if we can squeeze out that last bit of 10%, imagine the training gains we're going to get. We're teaching the nervous system to be powerful and explosive, and we're having that external feedback drive that. So I've always wondered if that's actually a thing. Is there some biological you know, adaptation, uh, evolution is the word I'm looking for, evolutionary drive as to why power training is almost innately illogical? Could it be the fact that power training without the context of chasing after or getting chased by is simply an energetic waste. And so your body is like, look, man, I don't want to do power training because it's going to cost me a lot of energy to do. And I don't know the purpose of what I'm doing this for. However, when you provide that external feedback, it drives that intent to get higher power outputs. So could that be one of the reasons why? Could that be particularly one of the reasons why power training is better or more useful, more effective when we have feedback? Because there are research studies time and time and time again that say that having this external feedback is massively beneficial for performance and gains, even when the training program itself has not been changed and they just have feedback. It's interesting. It really is interesting. But what's also cool about this is if we can theorize about evolution and how our body works and some how some of these extrapolated things that might have a good justification to it, we might be able to provide a better training means. And this is why it's so important to try and explore intellectually some of these areas of training. Because if we can find out things like, oh, you know, evolutionarily speaking, we don't like to try and actually do power training unless it's competitive. Well, then we know in an optimal environment, we're going to make it competitive as possible. Maybe that's the type of music. Maybe that's who you're working with. Maybe that's the type of feedback. Maybe that's the results that we're providing them. All these things might be means of optimizing it. At the same time, there might be certain things that inhibit it, like expectations. An example of it is some people I've noticed, if they just go and do jump training and they try and dunk a basketball every day, some people get really, you know, well, not reject, not, not, you know, downtrodden by it or upset. But if you're not jumping your highest, it's really annoying. And you don't even want to perform the jumps anymore because you know you could be performing better, but you're not performing the, at the level you could be. And so you almost self-down-regulate. You say like, look, man, I think I, I don't really want to jump today because I'm not jumping as high as I could. So it's almost like a form of holding yourself back. So in that context, the feedback of trying to dunk isn't very beneficial. So maybe we have a thing of novelty involved where we need to have rotation of the type of thing we're measuring in regards to that person jumping or doing whatever power movement they're doing because it allows for variable expectations or variable outcomes. It also removes the self-regulator because you're like, look, I'm not jumping at my peak today. Even though I know if I jump my highest, I'm going to get better. It's just really annoying to not jump my highest. And that is important. Maybe the dunk is because it's emotionally attached to the skill of the sport. And that's what they're measuring progress. If they're not dunking it better and they think they're not making progress. So instead of having that 
movement have some psychological emotional tie to it, like the jump and the dunk. We pick a different movement that isn't contextually specific to the sport. It has no emotional bearing on how they view themselves as an athlete in terms of that sport. And then we use that movement to help get more power out of them so they can help their sport. But that movement is more effective because it doesn't have a higher likelihood of inhibition associated with it. So now we're applying the psychology of movement. Now we're applying like evolutionary theory to movement. And all this stuff might be kind of a little bit out there, but it's at least fun to explore intellectually. And this is why it's so important to kind of dive into this kind of stuff, because we can begin to isolate certain variables that are a very high significance variables that are heavily weighted weighted in terms increasing the likelihood of a positive outcome in regards to performance things that you might weight are things like feedback on your movement speed you might weight the fact that certain movements have emotional context to it they are a distressor when they're not performed correctly i think louis simmons talked about this in regards to deadlifting and his power lifters he said some people just get a mental block with deadlifting and you just want to not deadlift every other day in that certain type of movement, like if you're just doing a conventional deadlift, due to the fact that it's just too emotionally damaging. And I know that sounds weird, but I can totally relate to jumping. I hate jumping if I can't jump high. I don't want to go and try and dunk if I'm not jumping my highest because it makes me feel like I'm not making progress. And I'm going to self-limit myself as a means to have an excuse as to why I'm not jumping high. Oh, I'm tired. Oh, I'm fatigued. Oh, it's just not my day. I'll intentionally not try and jump as high. You're self-regulating yourself because then you have an excuse as to why you're not jumping high as you possibly can. And that's because that jump has some weird emotional context to it for myself versus others might just enjoy the challenge every day. It becomes a you stressor, a positive stressor, not a distressor, a negative stressor. And so that's actually a very encouraging means for them to train with is that jumping because it motivates them. Cool. Science. All this stuff is pretty neat. And it's, it's applicable across different domains, learning, social interaction, building connections in a business. It's not necessarily like the exact principles of power training are going to apply that way. But the idea that we're taking and synthesizing information from what appear to be somewhat related branches, but not totally relate, not the isolated branch itself and drawing how it might have influence into the movement. The same way that the psychology of social interaction or building a business is really important, as well as how people view um, the ads or the product you put out is really important, or things of that nature that could be parallels to the example I provided with power training. Yeah, we're talking about power training and business and social interactions. What a weird situation this is. So I hope that makes sense. I hope that rant covered something. I know it was purely just a rant fueled by coffee and caffeine. I guess that's kind of one of the same, but not necessarily coffee because it has the health benefits because of polyphenols. It's not just straight caffeine, but you get the idea. So consider that. Think about it. Nutrition, what other things might go into the world of power development? So three big takeaways I want to leave you with. Number one is power training in my eyes does not seem like the most physiologically favorable thing to do for any given event, unless there's a purpose in terms of evolution, being chased or chasing. That's kind of the thing. There's a, some external aspect you're trying to accomplish. Otherwise, success of the movement is simply from point A to point B. Number two is having feedback might change those external cues. It might change it from being 
Oh, success is from point A to point B, but now you're providing objective feedback as to whether or not the result was achieved. And number three is maybe there are some other regulators involved in terms of power training, whether it's some sort of central inhibition and you downregulate yourself, whether it is some emotional tie to that movement, which you, if you don't do the best you possibly do every, or you don't do your personal best every time you downregulate yourself. These are all things to consider when it comes to exercise selection and just easily asking your athlete and talking to them and understanding how they feel during some of the movements is really important because sometimes they don't want to try and dunk a basketball because they just don't jump very high today. It's not very fun, but some days when they're feeling great, it might be the best tool to use. Think about that. I'll leave it there for today. I appreciate you all listening, by the way. I appreciate you guys. Feel free to share these podcasts with whomever you want. I don't really care. Share it. Help this thing grow. As always, thank you. I try and provide on a roll right now. A lot of podcasts and a lot of days. Thanks. Take care and peace out.